Well, friends, it is a joy. Uh, I was tearing up during the service in gratitude, thinking of all that the Lord has done. Uh, I probably shouldn't start talking about it because I will cry. I'm a massive crier. Uh, but uh, uh, all the hundreds of people that have come and visited and heard the gospel, the hundreds of people that have been reached out from this church, uh, and you, we said when we were planting this church that we wanted to plant the gospel in Parramatta. There are already many good gospel churches in Parramatta, but we want to plant another one because uh, there's so many thousands, hundreds of thousands of people that don't yet have songs to sing like we sing. Uh, and there's so many people that aren't even in churches that are Christians that are missing out on the week-to-week fellowship and family and community. And, and so we're a home for many. Uh, you guys have been a home for me. Uh, you, you're my brothers and sisters in Christ, as we looked at last week. And I couldn't be a happier pastor. Uh, I'm so grateful to the Lord. I'm still pinching myself. I was texting Dave and Brendan this week, thanking them for the, um, they're the pastors that sent us out, thanking them for their sacrifice to send us and their support. But also just thinking, it's all of you. Uh, it's the way that each one of you has served, that each one of you has given, each one of you has poured out the countless hours the countless things you've missed out on to serve not this church ultimately, but our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because we don't exist for SG Para. Who cares about our name, about our institution, about our organization? It's about Jesus. Uh, and you've served him so well these three years. And I look forward to hopefully decades where we continue to serve and reach more and more people so that people have those songs to sing. Oh, how I long for our city to be singing of these amazing truths. Wouldn't it be amazing to think of not just tens more people, but hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of people across Parramatta singing, Be Thou My Vision. <laughs> First in my heart, wouldn't that be just an incredible thought that we'd be running out of buildings and warehouses and factories? Who knows? The Lord may never do it. He might decide to harden the hearts of Parramatta, but that's our longing. That's our hope. Uh, we want to see more churches planted. We want to see more lives changed, and we want to do it one heart at a time. We have big vision. I, you know, I'm a big thinker, crazy, too many ideas, but the way God works, one heart at a time, uh, one sheep at a time. Uh, and that's our vision. We want to reach out, but it's one individual eternal soul at a time. So thank you, my friends, and let's keep going. And we, we find ourselves in a text today. Again, it seems like the Lord must help me plan out these series because I didn't plan this, uh, but we're in a text which is all about the church. Uh, my title for today's text is Our Exalted Identity our exalted identity. And we are in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. And it is my privilege, after three years again, to stand and read to you from God's holy word, inerrant, infallible, life-changing, and eternal. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 through 10. As you come to him, a living stone, Rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Amen. So, the honor is for you who believe. Oh, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you... You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Let us pray. 
Now, God and Father, may you bless the reading and the preaching of your holy word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm convinced this was a sermon of Peter. Because the way you read that, there's no other way to read that text than like that. I think Peter was a great preacher, and I I believe this probably was a sermon of his. As I've poured over it this week, I think, now this is a short version of one of his sermons. Well, you might be wondering, or at least I wonder often, what are we even doing here as a church? I was meeting with a brother, a great uh, pastor and friend, Charlie Burke, who pastors Oak City Church in Blacktown this week, and as I was driving back from my meeting, I was thinking, why? Why, do we, why are we here? What are we doing? You know, this, you know, it's a beautiful church gathering we have, but why bother, in a sense? Why not just join another church? Or, you know, why, you know, if you compare it to the city of Parramatta and these great, you know, buildings that are going up, these great institutions that are happening, these great businesses that are flourishing, it might be easy to walk past 27 Iron Street and just think, oh man, what's happening in here is so insignificant. It's so small. I've been listening to a podcast recently called How I Built This, and it's a podcast about innovators, entrepreneurs, idealists, and their stories about the movements they've built. And these, you know, these amazing stories. Uh, your stories of, you know, one of my favorite companies ever, because they make the best food, Chipotle in America, PayPal, LinkedIn, Fitbit, Dyson, Pitchfork, Khan Academy, Five Guys Burgers, another great company. Uh, you hear all these stories, and it's the similar plot line. Uh, one or two people gather together to solve a problem. They expend a huge amount of effort and energy Huge amounts of risk and finance, leadership, hiring, buying, starting, stopping. And the result, for those who make it onto the podcast, is they have huge reward. Some of these companies are billion-dollar companies started by regular Joes like you or I. Millions of customers, fame, helping people solve problems, uh, educating the world like Khan Academy. And when they're interviewed, it's interesting, the interviewer, Guy Ross, often asks them a question like this. So, you know, at this point of the company, how big were you? And they'll often reply, oh, we were, we were tiny. We, were, we had not, not much going for us at this point. Yeah, we only had 100 or 200 employees and only $100 million in venture capital funding. And I'm going, what? <laughs> you were small at that point? And you start then thinking and looking around at our, at our little small church, our small little budget, and our small little presence in Parramatta. And, and we are faithful, and we are going hard, and we are creative, and we, we do great things. But the dent that we're having on Parramatta, you think, oh, it, it's hard to see a dent, a, a, you know, a little thumbprint perhaps. Big risks, big dollars, big rewards for these businesses. But as we come to a passage like this, Peter gives us a totally different lens to see who we are and what we're doing here. These companies, these institutions, these organizations are nothing in comparison to the church of Jesus Christ. Facebook and Google and Apple combined are nothing compared to what God is doing in his local churches across the globe, and even in tiny little expressions like SG Parramatta, or the small little churches that Peter was writing to scattered across modern-day Turkey, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Bithynia. I've quoted this before, but John Piper says this of the church, the church of Jesus Christ is the most important institution in the world, the assembly of the redeemed, The company of the saints, the children of God, are more significant in world history than any other group, organization, or nation. The United States of America compares to the church of Jesus Christ like a speck of dust compares to the sun. The drama of international relation compares to the mission of the church like a kindergarten riddle compares to Hamlet or King Lear. Take heed. How you judge, he warns us. Things are not what they seem. 
All flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord and all his family, born by the word, abide forever. The media and all the powers and authorities and rulers and stars that they present are a mirage. For what is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. The gates of Hades, the power of death will prevail against every institution but one, the church. So lift up your eyes, he counsels, O Christians. You belong to a society that will never cease, to the apple of God's eye, as I read during the song time, Psalm, uh, Isaiah 43, to the eternal and cosmic church of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a powerful quote, isn't it? It's a powerful reality. How does John Piper arrive at such an exalted statement about the local church, the, the inglorious reality that the local church is, the, the local church full of glory and sin, uh, full of righteous saints who live sinful lives? How can he say such a thing? doesn't always feel like it. Well, this passage here today is designed to lift up our eyes, that we would judge correctly, O church, that we would see what God is actually doing in his local churches for his glory. This passage does two things for us this morning. It tells us who we really are and why we exist. That we would grasp this, our exalted identity, so that we can live out our privileged purpose here on earth. This passage helps us to grasp our exalted identity, not as individuals, yes we do, but as the corporate gathering, the church of Jesus Christ. And once we grasp that identity and know who we really are, well then we can live out our privileged purpose here on earth in Parramatta and to the nations. Now this passage, this passage is soaked in glorious Old Testament imagery, promises and illusions. Imagine a, a big, het, a, a, a wet, heavy sponge that you use to clean the car. You know, once you fill those bad boys up and you squeeze it, it's just there's a torrent of water that flows out. That's what this passage is like. There is so much here. If we were attempt to squeeze it all out, well, we'd have a glorious, soapy, bubbly mess, but we'd be here all day. Um, in fact, some of the churches that I follow, they did four sermons on this one passage. Uh, Jeff Perswell did an hour-long sermon on this passage. I'm not planning on doing that this morning. We don't have time. And so today, I can't squeeze it all out, but I would encourage you, get out a reference Bible, read through this passage, and look at all the cross-references, read all the chapters, and you'll see just how incredible the church is in comparison to the Old Testament story. But we're going to limit our attention to just verse 5 this morning. Because in verse 5, we see three things that will encapsulate the rest of the entire passage. We'll see three things about who we are and why we exist. We'll see that we have an exalted identity with a privileged purpose. So let's jump in. Point number one, first thing Peter, Peter wants us to see about who we are, we are living stones, the new temple. In chapter 1, verse 22, to chapter 2, verse 3, Peter has moved on to give us these applications that we saw last week about our communal, you know, how we're meant to live in community, that we're meant to love one another and we're meant to remove these corporate sins so that we can long for God's word together and be a longing and loving community. And now in verses 4 to 10, following that communal idea, he gives us our communal identity. How are we meant to view ourselves as a local church? Are we meant to think of ourselves like one of these great businesses on this podcast or these great institutions? Well, there are many images in the New Testament for the church, you may know. The church is often called the body of Christ, the flock of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God. And here, Peter speaks about one of his favorite images. It's an image that he learned from the Lord Jesus Christ. It's an image that is applied now to Christians, and it's verse 5. You yourselves are like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, 
So another image that we're meant to have of ourselves as a local church and all local churches everywhere is that we are a spiritual house built of living stones with Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, giving all the shape to our little house. We know that Peter loved this idea. Um, He learned it from Jesus in Matthew 21. Jesus uh, gives a parable and gives that verse that we saw later on in verse 8 and uses that as the cornerstone passage. And then after Jesus died and resurrected and the Spirit fell upon the church and they started preaching and and gathering and the authorities wanted them to stop, Peter gets up and preaches to the same people that crucified Jesus and says this in Acts chapter 4. This is the same Peter that's writing our letter. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You see, he, he and Jesus introduced this idea of choosing a cornerstone. I mean, ancient building, the architects would go to great deal and pains to find the perfect cornerstone, a great huge piece of stone that was um, flawless, the right shape, and one that could be used to set the whole building on its correct you know, dimensions, straight and square and pure. I'm not a builder, so I'll leave it there. In terms of my architectural illusions, and he's saying that the Jews had a different building project and they looked at this cornerstone and they thought, no, this is no, no good for what we're trying to build. Not enough power, not enough presence, not enough political capital. Whatever it was, they didn't like Jesus. And they rejected him and they thought, we'll build something else or we'll wait for a different cornerstone. And that's why Peter says, read verse 4, as you come to him, a living stone now that this cornerstone has been resurrected, he's a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You see, how we treat Jesus individually, the cornerstone, has eternal implications. We might not look very glorious here on earth, or we may not look like we have high status here in Iron Street, but Peter wants these beleaguered, outcast, exiled Christians to know that if you choose to follow Jesus, we share in his glory. Look at verse 6. He quotes from Isaiah, for it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Verse 7, so the honor is for you who believe. So if you're united to Christ, you're a part of this great building project. And and although it doesn't look glorious right now, oh, the glory is coming. Because God has chosen him as precious. And so if we build with Christ, we are in the right building site. We may have shame now, but the honor will come. But if you reject Jesus Christ, Peter's saying, you too will be rejected by God for overlooking his precious and chosen cornerstone, verse 7b. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Again, all these Old Testament illusions coming through. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. You may have the largest, most influential, successful and famous life and enterprise, but you do not have Jesus, you're ruined. It's a harrowing text. Don't stumble over Jesus if you're new to our church this morning and you're not yet in Christ or perhaps you're in our church and you're wondering, should I walk away from Christ? I want to live my own life, my own way. I want to build my own you know, type of building and, and Jesus, he's getting in the way of that. Well, Peter's warning, he's saying, dishonor will come, shame will come. You can't love God and reject or disregard his cornerstone. Jesus is not just one stone in the grand building of religion. He is the precious and chosen living cornerstone. And by being connected to him, we have the only chance of true honor and true life with God. 
And so Peter has built this kind of uh, this fr- biblical framework so that he can drive down into this identity. If you choose Christ, this is who we are. Verse 5. You yourselves are like living stones. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. If you choose Jesus Christ, if you're joined to Christ, he makes you now a living stone as well. Somehow we're brought into the building project. And this is an incredible truth that we grasp in the New Testament. We're not just isolated little Christians living our own individual lives, living for God and his glory. God's plan is that we are joined together with a shared common identity. We are living stones cut out from this world, hewn by God, and then built together into a spiritual house, the temple of God, the new temple. That's what the church is. You see, a brick on its own, a Christian on its own, can never be a house. But join them together and you've got a house. To understand who you are as a Christian, you have to be in a Christian community. That's God's plan. If you just see a brick on an empty site, you think, well, that's not a house, that's a brick. But you put the houses together and you've got a ha- uh, bricks together, you've got a house. And that's what the church is. It's, it's the greatest building on earth. That's who we are as SG Power. We are a part of this cosmic, universal, spiritual house. A house, the church, that re- re- replaces the temple. The new temple built out of newborn Christians. It's not a physical place, but a spiritual people. See, the greatest building on earth is not the Taj Mahal or the Burj Khalifa, 828 meters high in Dubai. The greatest building on earth is the church of Jesus Christ. It's a spiritual building filled with now, like the temple was, but now through Christ and his Holy Spirit, filled with the presence of God. The church is the new dwelling place of God on earth. We don't have to go to the dwelling places. We don't have to go on pilgrimages. We don't have to go to special or sacred or holy sites. No, when we gather in the name of Jesus Christ, God gathers with us and his presence is in our midst. We now have the presence of God unbounded by geography, unbounded by race or physicality. And the church is the focal point of God's activity here on earth. There's many great things that God is doing on earth. There's many great things that we can be a part of, building great families, serving in local schools, hospitals, businesses, even building up our city. But the great thing that God is doing on earth is building his people, his spiritual house, his church. And therefore, each one of us plays a a vital role in that just by being present in it. (laughs) Just by existing in a local church, you are part of this grand and cosmic reality. Commentator William Barclay recounts a story that conveys a similar concept about a Spartan king boasting to a visiting monarch about the walls of Sparta. The visiting king looked around and he could see no walled city. And he asked, where are the renowned walls of Sparta? The Spartan king pointed to his army and replied, these are the walls of Sparta. Every man a brick. Well, that's the same for the church. Where's this great building? Where's this great institution? Well, it's here and it's, down the road, and it's down there. You know, there's a lot of churches actually around here. All of us. And that's why we ought to be so encouraged to be a part of a local church. Because we're not just we're not just similar to a cricket club or the local, you know, mercy ministry or the local school, or we're a part of the cosmic plan of God. That's why Edmund Clowney says in his commentary, church fellowship is not an optional advantage to be chosen or ignored, like membership in a social club. It is the calling of every Christian. It's at the heart of who you are. It doesn't make sense to be a Christian and not be in a church. You're a brick in a field. But together, ah, we are the walls of Sparta. 
If you're a visitor and you're not yet joined to a local church, I think Peter would say to you, I don't get you. (laughs) It's time to find a local church that you can join with. It's time to find a spiritual house that you can be a part of, a local expression of God's universal church. You don't have to join our church, but you need to find a local church with great preaching and teaching that's centered around the gospel so that you can play your part in the greatest institution that the world has ever seen. It's your calling, it's your identity, and it's your privilege. And for our church, I want us to see from this verse, see who we actually are as SG Parramatta. We love our church. I love our church, but let's, not make, let's make sure that we don't value our church for the good things it provides, the lovely community, the great worship and teaching, and, and you know, coffees and lunch after church. But I want us to value this church because of what it is in God's sight, His spiritual house, His precious people, the temple here on earth, His dwelling place of His people that He loves. And so... As we come to gather for worship, it is just one expression of who we are as a church. I want us to come not with this kind of sense of like duty, though it is, uh, calling, though it is, but a sense of expectation. If this is, if we are living stones built into a spiritual house and therefore we're in the new temple, therefore God is going to presence and dwell with us, then we ought to come on Sundays in a different type of way. We ought to come with a sense of expectation, a sense of joy, a sense of I got to be here, I cannot wait to be here. Even our life group meetings ought to have that sense as well. It's like, oh, I don't want to miss it because this is an expression of, of the, what God is doing in the world, local Christians gathering to build one another up. If I gave you passes this week to skip the queues and visit Buckingham Palace and walk through unencumbered by guards, be in the presence of the royal family, maybe take home a painting or two, <laughs> your mind would be blown, you'd be stoked. what we have right here, right now, as inglorious as it feels, that's what Peter is telling us. Imagine how encouraging that would have been to these outcast Christians as they're losing their status, their privilege and their power in their society because they've united themselves to Christ, whether Jew or Gentile, rejected by Jewish, rejected by the Romans, wherever their background now, all they've got is each other. And now Peter is saying through the Holy Spirit, what you are is this incredible thing. You are the new temple. That one that still stands in Israel is no longer valid is no longer needed because God is dwelling and presencing himself with you across Bithynia, Cappadocia, Pontus, Galatia, and Parramatta. All right, so that's who we are. Point number one, we are living stones, the new temple. But that's not all. This new temple needs new priests. Point number two, we are a royal priesthood. We are royal or in a holy priesthood. Read verses five and nine. Peter just pulling out so many images. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Verse 9, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. In the Old Testament, uh, there was a priesthood, one clan of the 12 clans of Israel, the 12 tribes, the Levites, they were the priests. And the way God set up the old covenant was that there's God and he dwells in his temple and the servants of the temple is one tribe, the Levites, and they minister to the nation of Israel. They provide the sacrifices, they do the offerings, the incense, they teach the law, they set a model of holy living. That's, that's how it works. One tribe to be the priests and mediate between the people and God. But that's not all. In Exodus chapter 19, there's another sense of the priesthood uh, that Moses gives. And let's read that in verse 5 to 6, that they're to be a nation of priests. They've just come out of, the promised land, uh, out of Egypt, and they're on their way to the promised land. They're about to receive the Ten Commandments. They're all gathering before Mount Sinai. God's there in thunder and in lightning. And he says this to the people. Now, therefore... If you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, 
You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples. For all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So yes, the Levites had a special role. They, between God and the people of Israel, stood the Levites. But between the people of Israel and the world, Israelites were to see themselves as priests to the nations. That they were to mediate the presence of God, the knowledge of God, the laws of God to the people from the far coastlands all around the world. Israel was meant to be a kingdom of priests, yet they failed in the task. But God has continued that same concept, that same idea. For the new covenant people, we are now a kingdom of priests. We are a royal priesthood, a holy priesthood, Peter says. So we're a temple and a priesthood. And the role of the priesthood is to represent God or mediate between God and man. We are to take the message of the gospel to people who don't yet know it and show them how they can become holy in God's sight. To our kids, to our neighbors, to our friends, to our family. That's, that's who we are. That's what we're to do. This is echoed in Revelation chapter 5 when the Apostle John saw this. This is what heaven says. They sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, this is to the Lord, to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. Not just Israel, not just the Levites. And verse 10, you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God and they shall reign on the earth. <laughs> That's what we're caught up into. We, we can think of ourselves as like, oh, we're going backwards in society. It's a post-Christian, anti-Christian. No, no, no. We are a kingdom of priests, and we're called to reign, not in our influence, not in our status, but in the way that Christians reign is by declaring the gospel, which is the power of salvation to all who believe. We reign not by our power and our politics, but by our proclamation of the gospel that we can show people how to come to God and join his temple. And this is not just a job for pastors or bishops or elders or ministers. It's not just for life group leaders, ministry team. It's each one of us. We are a kingdom of priests, a holy priesthood. In the Reformation, there was a great catch cry against the separation of the church and its clerical office. In the Roman Catholic Church, there's the people and the priesthood, and they're separate. No, the New Testament says there's a priesthood of all believers. We're all a part of this. We're all ministers. We're all involved. It's not just me. It's us. There are no special Christians. We may have different roles. My role is to be the pastor of this church. But you and I are both priests. Or priestesses, if you prefer. What does this mean? Jared Mellinger says it like this, and I think this is fantastic. What does it mean that you are a priest? Think about it. You have direct access to God's presence. Let's ponder that for a second. If you're a priest, you're allowed in the temple. You have direct access to God's presence. Through Jesus Christ, you are holy in God's sight. The priest was set apart. Well, we are set apart by the blood of Jesus Christ. And you are useful in God's service. As a priest, you have direct access to God's presence. You are holy in God's sight and you are useful in God's service, every single one of us. Not just the few, he says, but the many. Men and women, married and single, young and old, pastors and congregants, you belong to the royal priesthood. That's a beautiful status symbol. Not valued by the world, but valuable to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He looks on us, says, these are my priests, Now, in our church, I want to see us rise up more and more in this. We, we already enact this so well. We, we are a priesthood there of all believers. Everyone is serving. Everyone is involved. But I want to see it 
even more so, and in particular in two categories. I want to see us rise up as a priesthood, and I want young people, younger people, I'm young, but younger people to be purposely involved in our church as servants and as future leaders. In 2023, we actually have the hope to start a youth group at our church. We've got a young crew, and we want to disciple them for the glory of the Lord. We want to sharpen them and deploy them. We're actually next year debating and thinking, but most likely going to offer a young leaders ministry internship across Some Grace Churches Australia. And we're going to try and raise up more and more young servants, not waiting until they're older to give their lives away for the kingdom, but to start doing it now. So stay tuned. In our church, we do value, value and believe that only men are to be pastors, and we believe in the complementarian relationships of women in the church and the home, and we love it. We think that's God's best. We're not ashamed of that in the slightest. But that should never mean that women don't have a vital role in our church. Indeed, so many women already do. But we want to, I want to extend that even further. I want to make sure that all of you ladies know it's not just because we're complementarian doesn't mean you miss out. No, the whole idea of complementarity is that we're made different so we can do different things for the glory of God even better. Our statement of faith, Sovereign Grace Churches, says this, In keeping with God's created design, Scripture reserves the office of elder for men, yet men and women alike belong to a royal priesthood in which each member is gifted by God to play a vital role in the life and mission of the church. Not peripheral role, not sideline role, vital. Kevin DeYoung in his great book, Men and Women in the Church, and if this is an issue for you, you want to read more about, what does that all mean? I've got it downstairs, I can bring it up for you. It's a great book, I'd highly recommend it. This is a long quote, but I just want to flesh this out a bit more so we can make sure we understand what this means. He says this, Women can minister to the sick, the dying, the mentally impaired, and the physically handicapped. They can share their faith, share their resources, and open their home to strangers. They can write, counsel, mentor, organize, administrate, design, plan, and come alongside others. They can pray. They can serve on committees of the church. They can come alongside the elders and deacons in difficult situations involving women or those needing a women's perspective. They can minister to single mums, new mums, breast cancer survivors and abuse victims. They can bring meals, sew curtains, send care packages and throw baby showers. They can do sports ministries, lead women's Bible studies, teach systematic theology to other women and plan mission trips. They can teach children. They can raise their kids to the glory of God. And they can embrace singleness as a gift from God. I pray for women who love to cook and quilt and work in the nursery. I pray for women not the male elders, but women, to counsel almost divorced wives and mentor young ladies and teach the Bible and good doctrine to other women. Oh, how we need women who love the Bible and good doctrine. Women can help widows. They can care for those struggling with the remorse of abortion. And they can show the glory of the gospel in racial and ethnic reconciliation. And they can do all of the above cross-culturally in unreached places and with the unwanted people of the world. In other words, there are 10,000 things women can be doing in ministry. And pastors especially need to make this point abundantly and repetitively clear. You notice in that list, you, some of those things you might bristle at. You're like, oh, why are you saying women should cook and quilt? And Well, women can also teach and counsel and, and preach the gospel. It, it, it's all... In our church, we want to see the vital role of women in their beautiful glory and the gifts that God's given you, in the role that he's given you, thrive. That will be God's best. God doesn't get it wrong. He doesn't give you gifts and then say, well, too bad you weren't a guy. Otherwise, you would have been a great pastor. That's not, that's not why God gave you gifts of leadership. It's not why God gave you gifts of teaching. It's to use it in the places he wants you to use it. He doesn't make mistakes. We've recently asked, though they haven't yet said yes, two women to be deacons. There's a million ways for you ladies to serve in our church. And so let's not just focus on the one thing women are prohibited from doing, pastoring and teaching. 
And let's emphasize the 10,000 ways you can use all the gifts, talents, experience, time, effort, and opportunities to serve as priestesses for the glory of God. And if you think that women have no role in the church because of complementarianism, I would say to you, you aren't thinking hard or creatively enough. And perhaps you've bought into the lie of our culture that status is derived from your title or position. In the kingdom, as priests, we get our status not by our title or our position, but by our sacrificial serving. So friends, we are a royal priesthood. We're all called to serve, to minister to one another, to minister to the world. And we're just getting started as a church. We need all of us as a united priesthood to do this, to serve each other and to serve our community. It's not about the one, biblically defined, it's about the many. It takes all of us to step up and step out. And if you're wondering, oh, I've got these gifts, I've got these desires, I don't, know, I don't know if I'm using them to the fullest of potential. I would love to have that conversation. <laughs> don't you worry. I have more ideas uh, than is possible to get done in a decade, let alone a lifetime. And so let's get creative, men and women, young and old. Let's see what we can do for the glory of God together. So Peter has given us a grand tour, a couple of beautiful things for us to slot into our identity factor. This is who we are, friends. We are living stones built into a temple, the new temple. We are a royal and holy priesthood. And the beauty of this, the beauty of Christianity is very different from how we do it in the West. We get, we receive an identity. We don't have to create our identity. We you know, we don't have to come up with, oh, what am I going to be, like some kind of influencer or some kind of this, or I'm going to get my identity through my career achievements or my parenting achievements or my love achievements or whatever it is. We don't have to create our identities. We are given an identity. And our identity is not made by ourselves. It's not even defined primarily by what we do. It's defined by whose we are. If we're in Christ, this is who we are, his temple. His priesthood, it's done. Receive it, enjoy it, live in it, thrive in it. Don't go wondering, who am I? No, this is who you are, and this is who we are. So we have an exalted identity, and point number three, this is our privileged purpose. Point number three, we offer spiritual sacrifices. You yourselves, verse 5, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. To do what? What do priests do? To offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Our sacrifices have changed from the old covenant to the new. The priests gave of rams and lambs and wheat and barley and doves and pigeons and I'm glad for that. I'm glad we don't have to sacrifice animals anymore. We give spiritual sacrifices. Uh, in our home, we have 10 chickens at the moment, and we have one chicken who is brooding and can't be happy unless she has a baby egg. And so Maddie was like, we need baby eggs. I'm like, I don't want more chickens. Anyway, we now have six baby chicks or five baby chicks, um, but the reality is that some of them could end up as roosters, and that means I'm going to have to kill it, uh, which I don't like the idea of. So the idea that we no longer have to give physical offerings is a good one. Uh, we get to give spiritual offerings, but in some ways, physical offerings is a lot easier. And it's a lot easier to sacrifice an animal than to do what we're called to do as Christians. Romans 12.1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The spiritual sacrifices we offer as God's priests is our entire life. Nothing is off limits as New Testament believers. All our giving, all our praise, all our serving, all our ministry. And you know what's incredible? Every little thing we do for the Lord, every little attempt, 
every step of faith, every act of service, every way we serve, if it's done unto the Lord, it is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. God will never take your spiritual sacrifices and reject them. God will never take your best efforts and go, not good enough. Through faith in Christ, when we offer ourselves to the Lord, it's acceptable. Indeed, pleasing to the Lord. When you give of your time in unseen and unrecognized ways, when you serve week in and week out in your home, in your family, in your workplace, in your church, it's acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. It's pleasing to God through Jesus Christ. And I believe he's very pleased with you as a church. He's a serving church, a very servant-hearted church. And you offer your lives, your heart, your soul to the Lord, and it's acceptable. It may feel pathetic to you at times. It may feel like you're doing more damage than good at times. But to the Lord, in Christ, your worship is acceptable. Our purpose is to offer spiritual sacrifices. We live to worship Jesus Christ and God the Father. There's nothing we can give that's wasted. There's no effort, no energy, no expenditure, no venture that you can sow into that is wasted in the kingdom of God when it's done for the glory of God. That's our privileged purpose. That's why we exist. We don't exist to build, ultimately, great families, great churches, great institutions, great companies. We exist to offer our lives to God as his people. And then whatever he does with it is up to him. And in verse 9, he expands on this, Peter, and says, you are a chosen race. It's no longer the Jews. It's no longer your ethnic heritage that makes you who you are. You're a chosen race, a new ethnic group a royal priesthood, a holy nation. You're not Australians or whatever you are. You're Christians first, a people for his own possession. And why do we exist? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Friends, that's our privileged purpose. That's why we still breathe. Your heart's still beating this very minute as a Christian that you may proclaim his excellencies to your friends, to your family, to your neighbor, to your children, to the young, to the old, to those here in this building. This is worship and witness. It's internal and external. Nothing's off limits. We exist to praise God. We exist to glorify Him, to declare. It's, it's not like this passive, like, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I believe in God. God's pretty good. No. <laughs> declare His praises. Proclaim, herald His excellencies. The one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Sam Storm says the church exists for many reasons, but none more important or urgent than to proclaim and make known verbally and visibly the excellencies and attributes of the greatness and grace of God. That's a good one. We have lots of things we do. Nothing beats proclaiming his excellencies. That's why we love to sing. That's why we love to pray. That's why we love to gather week in, week out. That's why we love to gather in life group and in one-on-one discipleship. That's why we love to go out in mission because when we do it and our hearts are right, we get an opportunity to do what we were designed to do, proclaim his excellencies. And if you're someone who, who doesn't feel like that's a privilege or you're not oh, yeah, yeah, that sounds like something other people could do. Um, you, you pray. You ask the Lord to change your heart and realign yourself with his eternal purpose for you again. And Peter does that for us in verse 10. He reminds them, if, if he hadn't given us enough glory, he then, and I won't go into it, but read Hosea this week, the prophet Hosea, because that's where all of this comes from. And he reminds us, if you're not feeling like you're ready to proclaim his excellencies, well, I just told you, you were in darkness going to hell. Now you have been brought into marvelous light. Let me tell you another thing. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. 
once you had not received mercy. But now you have received mercy, friends. Preach the gospel to yourself. If you're not yet a Christian, receive the good news that you can have mercy from God today. Everything wiped away you've ever done and the slate clean forever in Christ. And then once you apprehend that truth, There'll be something in you that will be, I got to tell someone, I want to share his excellencies. Your, your family quiet times, your personal quiet times, your relationships, your time at work ought to be different because you have received mercy. So friends, there's many grand companies out there, amazing products, ridiculous wealth, influence and power, but nothing on earth compares to the church of Jesus Christ. We have an exalted identity. Living stones, the temple of God, royal priesthood. We have a privileged purpose to offer spiritual sacrifices declaring His excellencies. And to finish, I want to read that John Piper quote again because I think it's just so good. The church of Jesus Christ is the most important institution in the world the assembly of the redeemed, the company of the saints, the children of God are more significant in world history than any other group, organization, or nation. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you that this is who we are. Uh, This is, even though it doesn't feel like if anyone's walking past our building right now, they, they probably don't see this spiritual reality, but we know from your word that we are like living stones built up to be a spiritual house in which you please to bless and dwell with your people. That we are your chosen race, a holy nation, a people for your own possession. We are dearly loved and we've been given a great purpose, to serve as your priests, to be mediators between you and the world through the preaching and declaring of the gospel. And so, Lord, I ask that you would bless Sovereign Grace Church Parramatta, that you would help us to know our identity and to live it out. Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit that we can actually put these words into practice and be blessed in our doing. I thank you for all that you've done and we give all Glory to you, our great God and Saviour, who has brought us from darkness into light. Once we were not a people, but now we are your people. Once we had not received mercy, now we have received your mercy in full in Christ. And we praise you. Amen.